Welcome to The Last Edit, a weekly film podcast with myself, Citizen Sleeve, and the wonderful Silver Hawkins. We decide on a different film each week that we'd like to discuss. Uh, this week was my choice, and I have gone for an interesting one that I hadn't seen for a little while, but was pretty up there and out there back in the day. A 1992 film by James Foley, based off the play by David Mamet, called Glengarry Glen Ross. Now, this is a film which has more expletives in it than possibly anything ever made prior or since. There's that much swearing that goes on uh, between these salesmen who are trying to sell plots of land. And it has a truly phenomenal cast. It's a very unusual film because it feels very play-like in its isolated kind of situations and very small set of locations. But it's a really dynamic film. The cast... Well, Ed Harris, Al Pacino, Alec Baldwin, Alan Arkin, Kevin Spacey, and probably his best performance, I think, one of, if not the best, is, is Jack Lemmon, who plays Shelley the Machine Levine. Uh, great nickname. Okay, so we'll stop there. No point getting any further, because it's a, it's a film which has uh, a very obvious theme, but so many little situations that we'll have to talk about. So, what was your kind of overall feeling of this? I know you'd seen it before, but coming back to it now, how did you get on with it while watching it again? I mean, I like, I, I like, I've always liked uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Um, it's, you know, it's. I think it's an example of a film that, when I grew up, it certainly wasn't obscure. Like everyone quoted this movie. Uh, it's one of the most quoted movies of all time. I think. Always um, be closing. <laughs> yeah. Takes brass balls to sell real Takes estate. Takes brass balls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, I mean, just obviously the big thing in, in Glengarry Glen Ross, as it is in any Mammoth movie, is uh, is the dialogue, mm. which really sort of coined... I think Glengarry Glen Ross was the one that really... I mean, it's based on a play that Mammoth wrote in mm. 1980, I think. Um and it really sort of coined the term mammoth speak, mm. which is the term for just the way um, mammoth writes his dialogue, which is really, really quick. Characters sort of interrupt each other. It flows uh, back and forth. Um, it's it's really engaging and mm. kind of mesmerizing to watch and listen to, uh, even if it's not like much like Quentin Tarantino dialogue, it's not always entirely believable. But it is sort of theatrical and, and dramatic, uh, much like Shakespeare dialogue is. Um. It actually reminds me a little bit of His Girl Friday and that era of films. Very quick talking, uh, people's characters talking over one another to give it more of a, a yeah to an extent. Feel. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right that that element is certainly there. Um, and again, like it's, it's and it's. I mean, the dialogue is grounded in these, and they they rehearsed over and over and over again because this oh, yeah. dialogue is it's not easily delivered. Um, no, I mean tripping over yourself with the the speed at which it was being delivered as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean some of the scenes between Ed Harris and Ellen Arkin in the car where they just go boom 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 mm. boom, boom, boom 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 boom, where Moss is sort of floating this idea of of the break in. Um, mm. Is really sort of yeah mesmerizing. Uh, and I mean the it's, the film is grounded in its performances, um, which oh, are very much so. 
which are really sort of universally great. I mean, the only one who really sort of stands out is is Al Pacino because Al Pacino is Al Pacino. Um, but yeah, by by this point, he's essentially playing Al Pacino. Yeah, more or less. Um, <laughs> and I mean, still, his character is is interesting in the way he sort of uses whatever trick is in the book, even sort of preying on sexuality. Um, the way he does that with the client that he sort of tries to hook in in um, in the film well, is really which interesting. Which of those characters is so different? I mean, so for 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 those watching we say so it's about salesmen as i said but it's about salesmen in this, this tiny little office uh owned by a pair who we never see called mitch and murray the eponymous mitch and murray and they take leads and then try and convince people to buy land you know, buy pieces of land and then they make money over a month and they accumulate it and they're on a board in order and you've got this wild they get a range. Ten, I think it's a 10% commission. 10% commission, yeah. Um, and this is all before Alec Baldwin character arrives. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you, you've got, you've got Sh- Shelley, played by Jack Lemmon, who is desperate. His He's, situation yeah. is desperate. He's, he has a daughter in the hospital. He can't pay the medical bills. He can't find time to see her. He's not getting paid enough. He hasn't made a sale in ages, and he used to be the machine, as it were. Yeah, he used uh, to be like the breadwinner, the, uh, exactly. the the top salesman in the company. Yeah. Um, then you've got Moss, who is just angry and jealous of everybody else who's doing anything better than he is. He's he's in this little box that he can't get out of, and for all his anger and bluster, all he can really do is try and bully people, and when he can't bully them. He's got no other real tactics. And we see that throughout the film. Then you've got Alan Arkin as Aranel. And he's just like weak, weak-spined, weak-willed. He, he can't get motivated. It doesn't matter if you, you try and pull him out of these situations or try and be positive. He's just in that mindset and you can't break that mould with him. And then you've got Al Pacino's character, um, Ricky Roma. And... He's the complete antithesis of everything I've just discussed with those other three characters. He is a predator. Yeah. He preys on people in what he believes is his own truth almost. And yeah, the very start of the, of the film, we're in a Chinese restaurant, and Shelley and Moss are having very different phone calls, beautiful lighting, beautiful color use. And Shelley's talking to the doctor about his daughter, um, uh, Moss is trying to sell um, land. It's not going anywhere. And they both but both are, are in there. And Shelley is walking around and, and leaves eventually because he sees Roma. He's already trying to make a deal with this guy he's found in this bar, played by Jonathan um, Price, who he thinks straight away is susceptible. Is he, he does, as you said, he plays on the sexuality of this guy. He plays on the loneliness of this guy. He plays on the fact that this guy needs attention, wants attention, wants yeah. love. And he becomes that thing, which is what great salesmen do. They become that thing. They become your friend. And he goes to work through. We don't see him for much of the the first 20, 25 minutes because he's in that restaurant sorting out that deal. Uh, The other major character is Williamson, who is played by Kevin Spacey, who's just... It's just a corporate Frankie. Yeah, he's just a bit of a bastard who obeys the company line and... Doesn't do anything in any way to help any of his salesmen. His, which is, I mean, he's basically the manager of of that little outfit, and his job is basically sort of to manage and 
uh, the salesman underneath him and to sort of mm. dole out the leads that he has that they're that they're then going to call and make the sales pitch to. Um, mm. But yeah, he's not uh, he's not a terribly good motivator. No, very very bad motivator, and we'll get to a lot of that later. Um, so they're all called back to the office, and this is when the film clicks. Just just ten minutes of, of brilliance from Alec Baldwin. So, head office, Mitch and Murray have called in. Uh, we don't hear his name throughout the whole sequence, but he, he's called in the script Blake. Or you he's call Mr. Big BMW. Well, Mr. Big, yeah. <clears throat> and he's basically brought in to tell them that some of them are going to lose their jobs if they don't book up, start selling, and sort themselves out. Um, but he says it in a very harsh manner compared to the way I just did. He basically yeah. is... if. <clears throat> If Al Pacino's Ricky Roma is a predator, he's the apex predator. He he has none of the problems the other guys does. He's learned his lessons. He is now a savvy, rich, uh, well-seen salesman, and he's come in to kick these guys' asses and get them motivated. Problem yeah, there's, is, there's that scene where um, Moss asks him, "Who the fuck are you?" And he answers, "You came here in a Toyota." I came here in a BMW. That's who I am. Mm. And it also shows him his like gold Rolex watch. This this watch costs more than your car. Yeah. That's Have you seen who I this am. watch? Have yeah. you seen this watch? Brilliant. And it's reverse psychology. That's what he's trying to do. But that's the nature of the way he thinks he can help these people. He attacks what he thinks they need to be attacked. Well, he's at. not even. He, he's not even. Yeah, interested in helping them. <laughs> Because, like, no. like he says, if it were up to him, they just shut down the outfit. Yeah. So he goes after each of the weaknesses. He goes after Moss and his his seeming anger and inability to just get on the company line and deal with stuff and go out there and sell properly. He gets onto Shelley about um, this perceived inability to sell. Go home back to your wife if you can't deal with it. And then Aronau he goes just a little bit crazier, and Aronau just can't. Even with that, he can't be pulled out of this pit he's in. He's just there constantly. But that that performance, that just that ten minutes, Alec Baldwin, ah, oh, he nails it. Some of the lines are, uh, and the way he uses the whiteboard, man. Yeah, they don't make him um, like that anymore. Like the Cadillac <laughs> is the, I think it's the Cadillac. That's the uh, the first prize, and then steak knives is knives. second, third, and fourth place are uh, you're fired. And at the minute, Ricky Roma sits sweet, sweet on top of that board. And he hasn't even come back to the office for this meeting because he's top earner. He doesn't need to. He's, he's trying to make another sale right now while they're going yeah. through this. So, so that's where the film really clicks and kicks off. So now these people who are depressed, uh, desperate, um, angry, they become more of those things because now their job's on the line. And before Alec Baldwin leaves, he passes a small stack of pink leads to Williamson to lock in the office. And they're the Glengarry leads. They're the golden leads. They're the leads that only the top earners get and will provide you with almost definite sales of really large sums. That's yeah, the, gold, the, the holy grail. Because the leads that they're, they've been working up until then, they've been old leads. Like These are people that salesmen have been calling for years, in, in some cases. Uh... And some of these salesmen have even contacted these people before, and they now they have to do it again, and it's over and over because these 
this is how these leads work, where you, you buy them in bulk and then you can easily have like the same bulk sold to different companies. So you can have like um, the same person getting contacted by like maybe five or seven different companies trying to sell them the same stuff or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. That's how these leads are, leads are sort of handled uh, with this stuff. And yeah, I mean, that the Glengarry leads becomes like the holy grail because that that's sort of the, that that's what they sort of all try and pin their hat on is no I'm only down because of the leads it's only the the fault of the leads that I'm in a rut at the moment that I'm not earning enough money to get on the board well one of the funny things as well is that none of them can sell a damn thing None of them. And they, they all given two of these old leads to go and prove that they can sell something to get on the board and to try and get at the Glengarry um, leads. But the desperation they have to go to to convince anyone to even care, apart from that one couple who just really likes to speak to salesmen all the time because they're great people. They love oh, the Nyborgs. Yeah. The Nyborgs. <laughs> I thought that was great. And that comes back to haunt Shelley later on. But they're all just so really bad at selling anything to anyone. Moss is constantly on the phone trying to organise and sell stuff and never nothing ever works. And then obviously he ends up trying to... Uh, okay, so after all this happens, um, they all kind of go their separate ways-ish. Um, well, we, well, we... I mean, it's interesting because we don't ever really see Moss trying to sell. We, we only see him trying to sell one... Talk about it, yeah. We only see him trying to sell one time which is when he basically sells to um, Arkin's character, um, Arnau. That was his name, right? Arnau, yeah. Arnau. Um, it basically tries to sell him on the idea that they should break into um, into the office of the manager in order to steal the leads. Mm. And he does this really, really well, actually. He, he sort of corners uh, Arnau into... A situation where Arnau is an accomplice, whether he actually approves of the idea or not, because now he's heard this idea, he's discussed this idea, but he hasn't hasn't openly rejected it. Uh, so he effectively becomes an accomplice at that point. That's the beauty of the dialogue as well in the lead up. Yeah, are we, are we talking the- about this now? Is this a real thing? No, no, it's not. It's not a real thing. But you have a plan now. Yeah, but I haven't I haven't told anyone about the plan. Have you called that guy? I might have called that guy. So is this this is real now? Yeah, okay, it's real. It's like, man, such well written dialogue. Yeah, and it becomes obvious that that this is what Moss built up to from the start, mm. and he puts um, Arnaz's character in a nearly untenable position where he he basically becomes. I mean, where Moss tells him, "You're the one who has to gonna go do the break in because I'm the first person they're gonna look at. I've been loud. I've been talking this shit all over town." They're going to look at me as the first guy. And so it's going to have to be someone else who actually does the break-in. And it's going to have to be you. Because you're an accomplice now anyway. But of course, Aaron now can't do it. Uh, he doesn't have the, the nerves. He hasn't even got the motivation for that. I mean, literally, there's a, I mean, there was a, there's a point where he's on the phone trying to sell it, And he puts the phone down and just sits and just... It's it's like he's pondering the the deepest darkest abyss a human being has ever been to before, 
I can't sell with these leads. I can't, can't. These are dead leads. It's like, yep. Yeah. And with Shelly, we see it most, we see his salesmanship, like most of it demonstrably when he goes to, um, to like a family man. He's talked to the wife over the phone mm-hmm. and then he goes to actually see the family directly. And he sort of manages to, to worm his way into the house, even though it's pretty clear that he's not welcome, that the guy doesn't want him there. Oh, very much doesn't want. And then <laughs> it's really uncomfortable as he makes his way into the living room and sits down on the couch and takes a look at the kids and yeah, this is really nice and and then he starts tries to do his pitch and it just falls flat immediately mm. and then he's sort of escorted out of the house and it's just really sort of tragic and sad and pathetic. Oh yeah, and and, and even the fact that. None of these, all of these people are liars. Every single one of them are liars. They yep, lie. That is salesmanship. I mean, yeah, yeah, but to a point where I mean, Jack Lemon in particular, the the way he plays Shelley in this is so funny at times. Hi, I'm Mr. Blah Blah. I'll be going on a business trip in about hey, Jenny. Jenny, could you could you get the tickets ready? That, that's great. Okay, I, I'll be in town for a tiny window, and I can sell you this for that discount, but only for the next twenty four hours. Jenny, get, get me on that flight. I'll be going there in twenty. Ah, oh. just the way he plays it, that the fact he pretends that he's got this big team around him and he's some president of a company when he's just really this lowly back end salesman who's out on his luck and, and and can't deal with it anymore. It's basically a, a death of a salesman for a modern age. Um, yeah, for an yeah. age where the the salesman is no longer a door to door guy. Um, yeah, and sort of dealing with that. Imagine the modern equivalent now. It'd be call centers. Dear God, that'd be terrible. But they are kind of a call center. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. All oh, the phones as well. Yeah. And now we just mentioned. Should we just mention? <laughs> and the fact, and the fact that, the, like, like you said, the, the movie actually opens with them being in a Chinese restaurant and using the payphones <laughs> yeah, in the restaurants yeah. rather than the phones in their offices. Well, it, it's 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 really important, isn't it? It's like it's like say you know, Goodfellas, how important the phones are there back in the day to keep information private, and then Tootsie would run over to <laughs> to to tell um, um what he just heard on the phone, but. I just like the balance in this film between absolute, complete and utter despair and yet this weird sense of truth despite all the lies. The film cuts through and shows you the truth of of what these people really are, of who they really are. And to get characters with that much depth when you have so many of them is actually really difficult to do. Yeah, just the complete sort of amorality of of the characters i mean that they, mm. they don't care about the customers uh there's no. there is i think one point where aaron now talks about what salesmanship has become and how they no longer sort of think about the customer or the good of the customer and it's it's only in one line like i think early on in the film um when they're sitting in the office i think it is um and I think he's talking to Moss. Um, that's really sort of the only point in the film in which it, mm. that that is addressed. Uh, but yeah, other than that, it's like, what are the weak points of these people? How can we? We don't care if we throw them into debt or whatever. We just need to make the sale. 
So then the narrative kicks on and we get to the robbery. Um, we followed the characters a little bit before, but the robbery is the next big kick. And it's interesting because the, the characters are coming back in in the morning, the following day. And Williamson's going mad because the, you know a load of stuff has been sold and the place has been broken into and the Glengarry leads have gone. It's and worth noting that before the, the break-in, there is a scene between um, Shelley and the manager where Shelley completely desperate um, Mm. yeah tries to bribe the manager to give him a couple of the leads Uh, and (laughs) only when uh, Shelley like continually but practically falls to his knees in begging Mm. um, does does he sort of relent but then he makes pretty <laughs> so like begging and berating at the same time and he backs off one and then enters the yeah, other he makes pretty he makes pretty steep <laughs> demands of uh of shelly as a cost yeah. for these um for these leads uh and but that's what williamson does isn't it he's like he'll he'll give you a little bit he'll give you a little bit he'll watch your desperation he'll even give you an opportunity and then he'll take that opportunity away I think it's mostly for Shelley, like because they really yeah. don't get along those two characters. Um, well, later on, there's that. There's, we'll talk about that later. But there's that bit where he goes, "I just don't like you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two characters you definitely don't get on. So the robbery. So we know Moss has been as an audience. We know Moss has been talking about it to Aranel. We assume that they're the only people who knew, and we don't know if they carried out the robbery or not yet. And when we get back to the office, the police are already in Williamson's um, office waiting to interview each of the salesmen. And so it's quite interesting that Ricky Roma comes back in. He's, he's, he's pumped. He's just made this, this sale from the guy in the bar <coughs> we've been cutting back to now and again. And he's been getting cozier and cozier and cozier with him, you know, winning him over. And... He asks Williamson, uh, you know, what's going on, and he wants that. To, to, uh, has that been confirmed? That same Williamson says, "Yeah, that's gone through. That's all good," which is actually a lie. We found out yeah. later on because damn, could anyone tell the truth in this in this film? And then one by one, the other characters start coming back in, and they are interrogated by the police in the office. And it's really interesting how what what's happening behind the door is. Entirely separate, yet not from what's happening on the other side of the door. The stuff they talk about, the, the process they go through while they're waiting to be interviewed, and the first one to come out is Moss. And again, it's just anger. How dare? How dare they? How dare they call me a liar? How dare they think I stole this? How this? This? I don't know. This uh, bravado, almost. Yeah, against. bluster. Yeah, yeah, and that's all he is as a character, really. A whole load of bluster. Whole load of bluster. <clears throat> um, the phones have also been stolen um, at this point, so the phones have gone with everything else. Yeah, and, all sat and then and as uh, he exits, Mas, Mas, uh Shelley comes in, overjoyed yeah. that he's actually made a huge sale. Oh. oh, and he's a real bastard about it, Moss. Yeah, like just can't be happy for like he's telling him this. That's it. You know, Roma's sat there and he's asked. He, he, he likes Shelley, so he said, "Tell me, tell me how it happened. Tell me how you sold it." And he sits down. He's reveling. I mean, Roman sort of shows a human side in the film. Also, yeah. also earlier with Aranal, where Aranal is going like, "I can't make a sale for the life of me. Everything I do just turns to crap in my hands." Mm. And um, 
And Roma is just, no, you're just having a rot right now. I'm just, I'm just riding a, a wave of good luck. Uh, the hot hand. Um, yeah. I think, I think, yeah, there's, there is moments of humanity from that character. Maybe just because he can do it so well, but he sees these people around him who are so, so desperate. I think it's also just like the fellowship of, of that profession, yeah. as it were. And he's been, uh, you know, a fraternity. Pro- He's been there prior when he's seen the machine, you know, doing his thing when he was learning um, his trade, applying his initial trade. So to see these guys who's been around for years, as you said, in this fraternity of sailship, and some of them are just falling by the wayside. So yeah, Shelley, Shelley's telling him a story, and Moss comes out screaming and shouting, as I said, and then just belittles him. Like, who, who gives a shit? Who, who, who's the machine? I don't care. I don't care if you sold something. But like, yeah, you do. That, that's why you're saying it. You are a petty, jealous, um, horrible, angry little man who tries to be a bully. But when you ignore that, it's not much else, really. Kind of a hollow, hollow guy who's just after something that he can never attain because he'll never do it himself. And that's the character assassination. Yeah, and I mean, the the blaster is all that more humorous, of course, because he is one of the two guys behind the the Brecken. He is indeed. Um... So then we have Aaron now who goes in, uh, uh, and he comes out. Well, not not with the well, very angry as well, but more like, how dare they talk to me like that? How dare they say things to me like that? And at, at that point, we obviously, as an audience, kind of think it might be him who's gone and done the literal robbery. Well, I mean, the, the the suspicion is there from the start because of the conversation yeah. that he and Mars had. Mm. So that just carries through, and we—that—that's what we think. Yeah. It's, it's weird how then the rest of that situation plays out in terms of Roma. He gets the phone back, and then his own situation starts changing because the guy who convinced to sell to in the bar, James, has now come to the office. Yeah, because his his, uh, his wife is not very fond of, uh, of him throwing money about. <laughs> Yeah, especially with it, it ninety grand or something. Yeah, and he's just signed it because he's been swoozed, as it were, by this suave guy who's just, you know, shown empathy and and shown likeness and been his friend, and so he's desperate. He he can't. He he wants. To, how can I annul this? How can we stop this? Yeah. And he brings in Shelley, does Roma. To, to pretend to be some kind of businessman and try to set up this on-fly situation. He's got to go out of town soon and catch a flight, and Shelley's got to go with him, and, and they kind of concoct this thing on the fly. And James, it, it, he's, a, he's just kind of taken aback. He's obviously quite a um, an anxious and emotional character who is just, he gets more and more jittery and more kind of unable to speak at times as it seems like Roma is not going to be able to do anything about it, or he's lying about not doing anything about it. And then there's that little bit just after, where he's like, so, you know it's like five days, five working days. It's like, yeah, but it's Wednesday now, but do you count Saturday? No, no, you don't count, they're not working days. Monday's the working day. Well, then, yeah, that's right, we have to do it today. Well, no, no, you do it. You can have it over the weekend. No, you can't have it over the... <laughs> yeah. Just the, the, the lengths they'll go to keep a sale are... Uh, yeah, really high level stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I mean that that's also probably the only um, point in the film where we sort of get a glimmer of the old Shelley Levine. 
yeah. the way he sort of plays, the way Shelley plays into that and plays, plays that character to sort of back rule must play, um, which he does quite well. Um, it's only when um, they they almost have him, but then the police call out to to uh, to Shelley because now it's his turn to get um, interrogated, um, and that sort of tears tears through the thing because they they try and delay it, but but uh, the cops cops won't have it, and so uh, Shelley gets called into the office even though he's sort of supposed to be a leading director in American Express, uh, the credit card company. Uh, so he gets called into the office, um, and Ricky sort of just gets left there, and then he sort of starts making, trying to make the play with um, with uh, Jonathan Stamp's character uh, independently, and then of course uh, the manager comes up mm. and says, "Oh yeah, you're you're that guy. Uh, no, no, we already sent your contract in." It's already it's already done for. That deal is already done. Even though like um Ricky's been telling him, "No, no, nothing's done. Nothing's done. We can we can cancel it. We can cancel it." Now now I just want to talk about you. Let's not talk about the sale. Let's just talk about you. Hmm. Like you said giving him like that love and attention that that he's what's, sort of yearning what's, for. What's the matter? Something's wrong. Tell me what's wrong. He keeps saying over and over again, personalizing yeah. it. Taking the business and the finance out of the way. So clever as a salesman. Yeah. And then and then things really, really kick off. So he leaves. Um, James, um, Jonathan Price, leaves. Because uh, he sees no way he can get around this now. He has to go and contact the authorities. <coughs> and he goes absolutely goddamn mental at Williamson. Mental. You are a child. A child. How dare you? How dare you? Just over and over again. Now, by this point... Yeah, he basically gives Williamson the abuse that um, that Moss, Arenau, and L- Shelley got from, from Alec Baldwin, kind of. Yeah. He just gets yeah. sort of that abuse from, from Ricky Roma. A proper dressing down. <laughs> uh, the bit after that... Well, the cop is standing outside the door at this point, the detective. They're waiting to speak to Roma. He's called him several times, but he keeps putting him off, putting him off, putting him off because he had the client there. So... This tirade finally comes to an end, and just before he enters the building, he goes on another little mini tirade, and the cop is just stood there going, "What?" So Roma goes in there, and then we get the truly defining um, scene that blows open the rest to the ending. Yeah, because I mean, Shelley's really exposed himself to, to Williamson earlier, where he basically was on his knees begging him for the leads begging him for some kind of break so that he can get on the board, so that he can keep his job, so that he can uh, take care of his daughter. And his daughter is never, like, openly mentioned. She's only... we She's only referred to through phone calls that mm. Shelley makes to, to the doctors in order to check up on her. And it becomes apparent that they're ready to throw her out of the clinic where she's being uh, taken care of because payments haven't been made. And he promises that the payments will be made. So he's incredibly desperate. And then finally he has sort of the chance here to to flip it and to lord it over um, Williamson. And he can't help himself. Like he gloats about the sale he made that morning. Uh, he's the one who had the eighty ninety thousand dollars sale. That was Shelley. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
the, the Nyborgs who yeah. just really like talking to salesmen because why not? Yeah, and then of course he overplays his hand, Shelley, and he says that um, he shouldn't, that uh, Williamson shouldn't um, come in and lie when he doesn't know the scope of the situation. And then of course uh, Williamson realizes that, how, wait a minute, how could Shelley know that I was lying about the contract, that I was telling a lie? Um, the only person on his desk the night before, yes, yeah. the only person who could know that was the person who broke into the office. So he realizes that the person who broke into the office was actually Shelley, and he also tells Shelley that. And of course, Shelley becomes really, really desperate, tries to bribe Williamson again. This time with all future commissions and the commissions of the major deal that he made this morning. It's like twenty percent. No, I'll give you fifty percent. Yeah. Yeah, and then of course. Um, Williamson sort of tries, with great satisfaction, to break him with the information that that Nyborgs uh, are bankrupt. They're, they're, that contract is only good as toilet paper. Mm. Um, which, yeah, that really sort of pulls the rock away from under uh, Shelley, and he's just utterly defeated and crushed. Yeah. And then it's really just an emotional waiting game. Williamson goes back in. Shelley knows he's going to be called out. He sits back in his seat. Roma's still trying to sort stuff out with the client who left. He's on the phone. The phones are back now. And he just sits there, almost like like waiting waiting for, for the, 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 the noose, waiting for the hammer. Yeah, and Roma, the, starts, the to come and Roma starts floating the idea that uh, he and Shelley should open up a partnership and sort mm. of go into their own business t- together. Um, yeah, forget the middleman. You know, we've always done well together. You should come on board. I've been thinking about it for ages. I think that that probably just pulls him deeper into despair. That this opportunity might have just appeared, and and now he's going to have to face uh, a lot more than that. Yeah, he tries as he as he gets called back into the office. He tries to sort of turn back and say something to Roma, who's busy on the phone, but he doesn't can't really think of anything to say, and so he turns around and heads back into the office without saying anything. Um, yeah. I think yeah. he tries, doesn't he? At one point, he, he almost opens his mouth, but he yeah. can't, can't bring himself to. I mean, I think, as you said, it's one of Jack Lemmon's like, strongest performances in his career, which is high praise, because honestly, yeah. Jack Lemmon is one of my favorite, uh, favorite drama- even both dramatic and comedic actors uh, mm. from Hollywood. Like from from some like it hot to twelve angry men to the apartment. I mean, yeah, yeah, a grumpy old man. He, he yeah, he, some of the roles he's been in are, are iconic, and he can he can bring uh, an emotional range and yet a subtlety to a performance. But in this one in particular, the amount of of lows and then weird highs and changes in in in, in situation. I think he just captures that character so wonderfully well. Um, and, and for those who don't know, as a little aside, The Simpsons, Gil, if you know who Gil is, Gil is Shelley the Machine Levine. Yeah. A sad, sad, sad man who can't sell anything to anybody, ever. <laughs> so, let's talk a bit about, before we get right to, right to the end, let's talk a bit about the, the look of the film, the cinematography, the music. I really like the constant rain, the yeah. sluices of of neon and bright bold color, um, the movement of the train 
to symbolize the speed at which these lives mood, uh, move. Everything um, is really, really sleazy. Yes, it's really grimy and very um, dirty film noir-esque. It feels very much like that. Almost um, a little bit cyberpunky, just in the way the, light, the neon yep. works. It's very otherworldly. And the fact that you're only ever really in three or four different locations, which are basically across the street from one another, you know, ties it very much together like a play, rather than like this great expansive film. The, the music as well, that... It, that recurring theme that has a number of different sections to it, very bluesy, very jazzy, very, um, I don't know, very, not despairing, but almost wanting. Yeah. Trying to, try to find something. It's a different way to, to describe music, perhaps. But it's it's a really interesting piece, and I like some of its beats and some of the ways it, it plays with its, discord, its discordant nature, which fits with some of the characters. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Um, I mean, yeah, the the rain is just a big part of setting, like the mood for for these people are at their sort of wits end, low and lowest rung in the barrel. Uh, this is as bad as it gets for them, kind. Mm. Like the rain, re- like the, the scene where it really comes into play, I think, is the scene where Shelley begs um, Williamson for the leads. Where the rain just this is torrential. Um, as they're it's standing outside, through the crack in the car, yeah, yeah as well. When he sits sat in it, it's absolutely relentless, and yeah, it, it it suits the tone, it fits the atmosphere, it looks amazing on screen with all the neon as well. Yeah. So the film ends with sadness, lots of sadness. We just kind of end with his impending doom, and then we watch him. Slowly walk to the door. Yeah, he go. He asks. In. Yeah, he asks. Um, like, why? Why are you doing this to me, to Williamson? Mm. And Williamson's famous reply is, "I just don't like you." I just don't like you. Yeah. What a horrible, horrible man. <laughs> but then most of them are exactly correct. Yeah. And and that's where the film ends. It, there's there's no um, neat and tidy bow. This isn't um, a typical Hollywood film. This is obviously based on Mammoth's play, and. You don't know what happens to the characters afterwards. You don't know what happens to Moss or Aranel. You don't know what 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 happens to 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 Roma. You know it. It and I, I like when you have completely open ended. And it's not sequel bait. Normally, you would have a, a narrative strand left open to entice for a sequel, a cliffhanger of some kind. You know, th- this is very much not that type of film. But it also doesn't pander to the notion that the narrative needs to be. Uh, sorry, not even narrative. The plot, the plot of the characters, the individual characters, need to be tied up in this neat bow. It doesn't need um, true and a true narrative conclusion in that sense, because life doesn't. Yeah. And this, this is a little slice of what that particular period and people had in their lives at the time. Yeah, I mean, there's no resolution. There's no little neat bow tied at the end. Um... Like really, sort of the, the resolution is sort of the complete collapse of of Shelley Levine. Um, yeah, it's almost, it's almost the rise and fall of Shelley Levine. You could call it that. I mean, it would make sense. But we don't. I mean, it wouldn't really because there's as, not really no, a rise. We, yeah, we've missed the rise. It's it's, it's, it's pretty much Shelley exclusively Levine. the fall. Yeah, the fall of Max Payne. Yeah, yeah, man, that works well. <laughs> the music even works well together. <laughs> 
So yeah, I I really like. Yeah, James I Mark mean Garrett. the score is really jazzy. Um, so yeah, again, again, sort of noirish. Um, yeah, the, I think the 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 aesthetics, the ca- all the camera work as well, with those neat little punchy zooms on things, and the way that the camera will pan across scenes and move around those small environments is really well constructed. You know, again, capturing yeah. the individual key pieces of, of these characters bouncing off each other. And, and uh, you know, these really complex, quick, snappy lines. Yeah. Well, I really like it. I hadn't seen it for a good long while, probably probably maybe a decade. But, but when I did watch it back in the day, I watched it a good amount. It's, it's an odd film in terms of its pace. It seems slow and is not slow at all. Because no, I, it, I mean, the, the dialogue keeps it, keeps it snappy yeah. throughout. Because there's, there's always something that engages your attention there. Yeah, there's lots of long takes um, with yeah. ma- massive use of mid-close-ups and close-ups. That's generally the structure. Almost like a soap opera um, to that extent, apart from the establishing the when you open. And the way it cuts around and, and this, this great dialogue that overlaps and people are having conversations while someone else is making a point. And there's some really kind of poignant moments as well, um, especially with Shelley and his desperation to get out of this horrifying situation he finds him in, You know, where, where his daughter is clearly about to be kicked out of, of the place she, she needs to, to get better. It's just, I really like it. It's one of Jane Foley's best. It, it's a great mammoth play. Almost every performance, if not every It's arguably Mammoth's best movie as well, even though I yeah. mean, he didn't direct it, but but he, he practically did. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, yeah. this is one of the... This is one of the examples of a writer's film, as it were, where the writer had a tremendous <clears throat> amount of influence over it. Well, it's, Foley had done nothing like it before. No, nothing like it before. So to have Mama uh, in there to make sure, especially the dialogue flowed and connected, and the, and the way you could. Yeah, but I mean, Mamet Mam- hadn't really done a movie before. Like, Glenn Gary Glenn was his first film, I think. Like he was mainly a play, play playwright up until yeah. Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, um, which was when he started making movies. Um, well, if you like fast paced. Hard talking, quick thinking, snappy, really quite visually appealing film with some damn fine performances. Go and watch Langary Glenross by James Foley. Uh, recommended by us both, I think. Yeah, I would certainly recommend it. Um, like, like I said, it, it's it's snappy. It's uh, dialogue is really really engaging, um, and it's 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 in pretty good commentary on on sort of the salesmanship and. Ca- a morality of capitalism today. Well, yeah, and and you think now, you know, almost every job is inevitably having heavier workloads. You have to do more. You have to get there faster as the years move forward. And you can only imagine how difficult it would be now. Um, It would be exactly the same, just different technology. So it it really, the context helps, but it certainly doesn't get um, driven down by the time period it was made. And it's very pertinent now as well. Yeah. Right. Mr. Silver Hawkins. What are we going to watch next week, sir? Uh, I think we're going to watch uh, another animated film. Um, this one by uh, a Studio Ghibli film, uh, which is one of my favorite animated films. Uh, like I, I get reduced to tears every time I've watched it, uh, and it is the tale of the Princess Kaguya. I don't think I've seen it. I've seen a lot of Studio Ghibli. I don't think I've seen that. 
like House Flying Castle, uh, Princess Mononoke. I've seen a lot, but no. It's it's a really, really distinct animated film. It took like about a decade to make. It's um, wow. It's animated mainly kind of through watercolors, watercolor paintings, uh, charcoal uh, illustrations. It's a really, really compelling watch. It's there's no like CG computer animation there. It's all hand drawn. All really sort of exquisite uh, craftsmanship. Um, Like there's a scene in in um, in the film where uh, uh, Kaguya learns how to walk as a baby, and the way they she she sort of tries and mimic mimic a frog, and the way that's animated, like just by these rough pencil outlines, is honestly some of the most beautiful animation I've ever seen. Oh, lovely. Uh, well, I look forward to that then. It's nice when we diverge a little bit because animation is so um, fun to watch and we've dipped yeah. into it quite nicely before. Good. Right. We'll look forward to that then. Right, folks. Thank you so much for watching. Talk to us in the comments. Talk to us about films. That's what we're here for. We bloody love the things. The obscurer, the better. Ish. Yeah, please do. I've been Citizen Sleeve and I've this has been Silver Hawkins. Thank you much for watching. We'll see you again next week. Take it easy. Take care.